1: bird's eye view when it comes to the orioles this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight, and for baseless opinion. Today is February 7th, 2016, and this is episode 150. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Scott Magnus. If you're listening to my voice right now, you're most likely doing it at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which is over at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also find us uh, as well as a number of other great baseball podcasts over at Baseball. Baseballtalkradio.com. You can also catch this program on third party platforms like Miro, Stitcher, and Double Twist, as well as iTunes. And please, if you do so on any of those platforms, make sure that you rate and review this show. It really helps us out. You can find the show on social media. A lot of you lately have been following our Facebook page, which means that we should probably do something with it. Uh, but the best place to find us is, of course, on Twitter, where we tweet at B A L. But uh, I don't expect that you'll be able to find us after the new al- algorithm goes into place. That's probably the better, actually. <laughs> it's a public service is what Twitter's doing. They're trying to save you from us. Yes. So,
0: Jake, most important time of the week, what's drink of the week? We, you and I are in strict recovery mode. We, we kind of are. Um, we were actually having a birthday party for our lovely wives, uh, Carrie and Sarah. Um, we actually had a murder mystery party, um, which entailed basically lots of alcohol, which is, I guess, what happens during the 1920s.
1: It was a roaring 20s uh, murder mystery, and uh, we, we stocked the bar accordingly. Yes, with rum and gin. Yeah. Anyway, um is I Is there any rum left, by the way? There is a rum left. Okay. Just barely though, right? There's not a whole <laughs> lot of gin, but there's rum left. Uh I am drinking a Corona Extra uh provided by my
0: fabulous host this evening. And you, Scotty? I'm drinking a winking beverage, Natty Bo, the premium beer in Baltimore. So yes, we are both drinking water this evening to hydrate. Um yeah, like I said, pretty boring this week on the Twitter. Uh it, well, actually really boring this drink of the week, but let's go to 140 characters less. This week on the Twitters. This week
1: on the Twitters. First, uh, we had a major weather event here recently. Uh, It was cold and uh, and wet and deep. And deep. Really deep. But not deep enough for our our good friend of the program, Seductive Tommy H, who tweets at Seductive Tommy H.
0: If you're going to do this, you better do the voice right. Girl, if you think more than two feet is impressive, you've never spent a weekend with me. Oh, yeah. You saved that one there. I did. That was close because I, <laughs> I wouldn't have come anywhere near that. Um, Next week comes to uh, – this is going to be a fun thing to do. Um, This comes from our good friend Josh Rocha. You can follow him at Josh Rocha. Again, fellow podcaster on the Section 336 show, working on something exciting and new, I suggest you bookmark birdlandradio.com. I highly suggest everyone go check out the website birdlandradio.com. We'll promote it in a few more weeks and stuff like that, but uh, got some interesting things coming up for opening day. In the business, we call that a tease. Yeah. While we're talking about other podcasts in the
1: Orioles sphere, let's talk about Orioles Uncensored, another great Orioles podcast you should make sure that you check out. The good folks over at Orioles Uncensored uh, had a great zinger we wanted to share with you. I wonder if Dave Matthews and Willie Nelson will perform at Camden Yards for Orioles Farmade on proceeds going to fix our farm system. So this, a, this, this is a joke, right? It might
0: work. That's actually, I think, a pretty decent idea. I mean, the international slot money goes out. Farm aid comes in. Correct. Exactly. I mean, I I see no problem with this. So, you know, I think Orioles fans have always wanted to, you know, see improvements for their teams this offseason. Of course, we've got Chris Davis re-signed, but it certainly doesn't feel like it's enough. Um, But one beat writer is feeling the abuse from Orioles fans. This comes from Jim Duquette. You can follow him at Jim underscore Duquette. Dear O's fan on Amtrak who commented to me at 5.30 a.m. that they still need pitching. I'm now awake and agree with you. I'll pass it on. Thanks. Orioles fans, keep up the good work. Keep waking up Jim Ducat to see if he may pass that information over to Dan Ducat to get that uh, that information done. Well, he, he never passed along any kind of
1: information like that when he was here. That's a good point. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right, last we have a tweet from Rich Dubroff. Um, he wants to know. How important is a fifth starter to the hashtag Orioles? Maybe not so much or hashtag Orioles talk. Boo, and then a, boo, uh,
0: boo, boo, boo. This is a terrible, terrible article. And can I tell you why it's such a terrible article? Please do, but then I have a criticism. All right. Go ahead. All right. So in this article, if if you get a chance to read it, Rich Duproff goes on. This is on, a horrible article. It's, it's a horrible article. article. I hope you have time to read it. Yeah. But it, it basically goes and says, okay, the Orioles lost Wei and Chen, but... Really, how valuable was Rian Chen? He never was the opening day starter. So what's the big deal about losing him? Wow, you're right. I should really <laughs> rush out to go read that article. Like I said, this is a media credentialed writer that has been in the press box for years upon years upon years. And that's the kind of drivel that gets put, posted out there. That's that's absolutely horrible and terrible writing.
1: Well, it is
0: a sparse time to cover the Orioles. It's a sparse time. But, you know, let's come back to like Rockabacko. Rockabacko can at least make mockery of the sparseness, basically, and go from there. This is just filler for the point of being stupid filler.
1: All right, I got to bring this back on you. Okay, I think you have failed me tonight.
0: All right, and here's why. Look, ladies and gentlemen, when you see
1: tweets come through from our account, if there is something witty and clever that comes out in an animated gif, that is nine times out of ten, Scott. Yeah, All right, it's true. I get into the, I get into it as well, but Scott is is on top of these things, topical. Uh usually Orioles related responses that are graphical, quick, and incredibly witty. Scott, we were booing Rich Dubroth, Yes. You're running the board tonight. Yep. Why do we
0: not have the boo from Princess Bride ready to go? That is an excellent question. I'll tell you what, I will rectify that for future broadcasts. <laughs> I can see him uh typing it in right yes, now. Yes, I will one second. Let me let me take care of that. And, uh, and we are in good shape for the future broadcast where nobody else will be listening. <laughs> well, let's move further into the show. Um, I think a lot of folks across the Orioles blogosphere and podcast aspect has focused on, of course, starting pitching. I kind of want to touch base on that, but I kind of want to look at the farm system again and how it can interrelate to the Orioles in their current state.
1: Scott, remember Fan Fest? That was fun, right? Yeah, it was, the, uh, it was pretty fun. The Orioles brass came out to encourage fans about how, despite the quote crap end quote that they'd read in the national publications, that the Om- O's farm system had some great players in it. Yeah, yeah. Can I, um, can I, can I tell you something? Sure. That's actually crap. What?
0: Yeah. yeah. What? The the O's farm system? It's not good. I'm, it's not good. I'm, I'm shocked. Now, again, this comes back to the one thing where. You know, they were referencing at a Fangraphs article from the Cato model. And uh, Matt Mitchell, who was on the show earlier this season, uh, basically was talking to us about that model and, you know, what it means and why you got to take it with a grain of salt. And actually, it was funny. He actually came back and revised his model. And I think there was like five Orioles players in the top 100 at the time of his original model. And with the revised model, it came out to be one player was in his top 100 at that point. Womp, womp. Womp, womp. But again, I think it's funny how, you know, the Orioles jumped right on and said, this is great. Oh, this is not so great, but anyway, continue on, Jake. Why are the Orioles not so good what What has recently came out that makes it make us realize again that the Orioles farm system is well complete garbage well, I mean that's
1: it. That's it right there. You talked about the uh, the Cato uh, projection systems, and at the time, I think the one
0: that it's been revised down yeah. to has been what uh Hunter Harvey? I think chance Cisco was the one that was listed because the Cato model doesn't fit into Hunter Harvey or Dylan Bundy because just not enough service time. But in terms of some other rankings that came out, um, the top 100 prospects for MLB baseball came out, and there was one Oriole in there, Hunter Harvey at number 85. Mm. Um, Yomar Reyes um, was actually mentioned as a top 10 third baseman. He was number nine. But, of course, there are obvious questions whether or not he can fit into a role of a third baseman. And hopefully we don't need a third baseman for a while. Right, exactly. Well, the other position they could play is first base. Oh. Oh, crap. Right. <laughs> but Baseball Prospectus also came out um, after we basically put out the last podcast, and they put out their top 100. Hunter Harvey was listed at 58th. Dylan Bundy was listed at 69th. But again, no other Oriole was present in the top 100. Um, and Hunter Harvey and Dylan Bundy have been in the top 100 for years upon years upon years at this point. Can I ask a stupid question?
1: Sure, you can. What is the norm for any team? You, you got 30 teams. Yeah. You got 100 prospects, right? right? So is three the norm? I think like three is pretty much the norm, yeah. Okay. Uh, this is a dumb question, sure. but I have to ask it. Yeah. What is the difference of a farm system to say instead of three top 100 prospects, we have two? top 100 prospects is is it literally one player is not good enough and that's the only deficiency or does that speak larger about the
0: the farm system of the fact that they're just so much further behind their contemporaries i think in my opinion it comes down to you look at the top 100 and it's those players that have the best chance to actually lead to some contribution or likelihood and again you look at a top 100 and there will be players within that top 100 that will uh, certainly flame out and not make an impact but the more players you have in the top 100 the more possibility you have to a have a contribution at the major league level or b also be a value to you in terms of the trade market in order for you to go get players currently at this time so the orioles have mm, kind of a negative on both sides which is they have got players that you know, need to contribute immediately because Dylan Bundy is in the top 100 prospects, but is going to have to be on the major league roster this year. Um, and, you know, they don't really don't have anything to trade at this point. So there really is no future in the minors. And there's also nothing to trade right now to get value at this time Um of significant value. I should say you could still trade, you know, a player here or there to get a minor contribution here or there, but you're not going to go get a superstar deal like a Josh Donaldson um, like the Blue Jays did last year, and trade away some of their prospects. Sure.
1: This, I think, goes to why we have the GM that we have, right? So we talked about Andy McPhail being the kind of guy that is perfect for a rebuild, Right and maybe not the perfect guy to go ahead and and bring the the Orioles into the promised land. I wonder with a thin system like this if Dan Duquette is not exactly the type of guy that we need because of his ability to restock the top. And we talked about this happening in a number of ways. The first is that Rule 5 draft, right? Right. So they pick this guy, uh, Joey Ricard, who's going to be on the team, and then they're going to keep him, right? And so they continue to restock that top echelon of the minor league system, Rule 5. They've done it every year that Duquette's been here, right? Sure. And regardless of how much we mock, the jason garcia pick during the season when he wasn't doing anything he was underperforming he was not healthy well now we've got him right. and that's a live good arm he might not ever become a starter he might not ever become a star But it's a good live arm that's controllable for a while that's a player that the orioles can't pick and develop right but this is something that he does and you also look at the fact that and we'll talk about pitching in a little bit uh, later depth so i won't go too far down this line but the, the orioles just made a trade with the San Diego Padres bringing a controllable pitcher who we'll talk about whether he's good or bad later, but they brought a a player that can be in the minor league system as well as help in the major league level, and it only costs them somebody in their lower system who is probably not going to be a superstar either anyway. I think that the Orioles clearly have a deficiency. Yeah. Clearly. However, if you want to talk about can the Orioles win now, I think that the best shot that they've got is kind of the the identity of the leadership structure that we have here that rotates out that top echelon, which in in some ways is detrimental because it's never being regrown from within. Correct, but at the same time doesn't require
0: a ton from within, from the lower levels to grow up into that top echelon. Right. And I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I think the point that you're trying to make is it's good to kind of get this additional depth at the mid or low tier levels in order to constantly flush through the system and basically achieve maximum value. And the Orioles have been doing that since 2012, since Dan Duquette became GM, which is you're constantly getting these Rule 5 players, but also you're getting mid-tier or low-tier players in the minor leagues through minor league free agent deals mm-hmm. or through trades with other teams. The problem I have with this is, and it comes back to looking at the salary right now, um, you need to have those top echelon prospects mature eventually so that you can get them to have extremely high value in terms of a war, such as Manny Machado, who was good for Six War last year, but you're only paying him $500,000, or even this year, you're only paying him $5 million. You need that surplus value that is present. Otherwise, if you're not going to get that surplus value with these, you know, prospects coming up, you're going to have to go to free agency and pay equal value or maybe more so value to get what they're really worth. And the problem with that is you can do that, and there are certain teams that currently can do that, but with the Orioles market that they're in, and you know, this comes back to the whole Mastin aspect. Um, the Orioles are not a big market team. They are going to only be able to put so much payroll together, which means that if they are going to be able to compete, they're gonna to have to have a certain budget, probably around $140 million, and they're going to have to have prospects continually come up and basically have surplus value such as a Manny Machado, a Jonathan Scope, um, you know, a Chris Tell me when he was back in arbitration and stuff like that when he was cheap. Um, but again, getting some of these arbitration players and you know minor league players that come up and actually have surplus value is a big aspect for it. And right now the Orioles are having a difficult time finding that. That was something they had a difficult time finding last year
1: as well. So here's another question. Again, I ask because I'm dumb. Yeah. Um, The Orioles had 15 years where they were terrible. Yeah. And not only were they terrible at the major league level, they were terrible at the minor league level. Right. I mean, they, in every way they could have whiffed, they did. Mm -hmm. And that is, is exemplified in all parts of their minor league development Including drafting. Um, So one of the things I I went back and looked at actually this week, I was having an argument with somebody at work. Um, Was this a
0: Cardinals fan? It was. Well, don't listen to him. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Yes, they draft better than we do, historically. It makes me angry. It's getting doubles on their side, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I looked back at the number one draft picks that the Orioles have made since 2000, and most of the names you wouldn't recognize or you recognize for all the wrong reasons. All right. So going back to 2000, uh, Tripper Johnson, 2001, Chris Smith, Two thousand one, Mike Fontenot. Two thousand one, also Brian Bass. No, not that Brian Bass. The other one. Two thousand two, Adam Lowen. Two thousand three, Nick Marquez Okay, that was a that was one yeah. that worked. Two thousand four, Wade Townsend. That was also one that worked. Oh, not for the Orioles. Not for the Orioles. Or- yeah. Okay. Uh, two thousand five, uh, Brandon Snyder. Also in two thousand five, Garrett Olson. Two thousand six, Billy Rowell and Pedro Beato. But then you get to two thousand seven and onward, where I think that the Orioles have had a much better track record. Weeders, Mattis, Hobgood, Str- with Machado, Bundy, Gosman, Hunter, Harvey. We don't know enough about those last three. Right. to know whether they're, they're going to be good or bad. But I would argue, and I'm not just putting the the. Uh, jim hunter glasses on here i would argue that at least in one aspect they've gotten themselves together a little bit in the fact that they've been able to draft major league uh caliber players whether or not they're the six war guys like manny machado that you're talking about superstars right Right. they are at least useful players you can't tell me that you know matt weeders isn't helpful even even brian mattis who i regale against on this program all the time has been a useful major league player a
0: useful major league player maybe not worth the entire value that he should be for the draft pick that they gave up for but
1: certainly better than a Brandon Snyder or Garrett Olson. Correct. They need to keep
0: doing that and more. Right. I I guess the question that I'm left with, and it's the perennial question that the Orioles are trying to answer right now, is currently, if you look at the Orioles' depth chart, they're right around a 500 team. So they're going to probably win right around 81 games in the American League East. And the question really needs to be determined by the Orioles of... Is it worthwhile to them to basically stay in this current position and hope everyone has an exemplary year and it boosts and catapults them into a wild card spot or even be contending in the AL East, or do they try to stack the deck a little bit, basically trade in some draft picks and make this more of a guaranteed winner for this season or and potentially for 2017 to basic based on how they st- do the contracts and basically say, you know what? That one draft pick isn't going to make or break us, but the next two years may make or break us. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question is, Jake, with the way this team is right now, where it's a five hundred team, is it worth it at this time to basically sacrifice draft picks to make this team a winner immediately? That's a really good question because I'm torn. Like I'm, I'm literally you're torn. all out of
1: faith. I'm all out of faith. This, this is how, is how, how I feel. feel. <laughs> Um, I knew you were cold and ashamed. (laughs) I'm not sure how I feel about it because on one hand, I don't want to see them lose the momentum of starting to do some of those things right. Like we just talked about, right? On the other hand, I have been waiting, you know, my entire, my entire life, my entire adult life, I've been waiting for seasons like 2012 and onward where at some point they've got to do it, right? They've got to be all in and go for, for the win. Um, and it it's difficult to look at this off season the way they have started and think to my, and, and take from that that they're not interested in winning, right I mean the whole Chris Davis signing, whether it was a good idea or not right it doesn't it doesn't reek of oh we're going to sit on the fence and and hope to be good i mean that that's a major commitment to try to win again, whether or not that was the right thing to do, so I kind of feel in one regard that we, we of course should develop players and and, and put ourselves in the position to, to build the best farm system we can. But on the, at the same time, we've kind of backed ourselves into this corner of we're not going to be able to keep all the talent that we've got for the, for the price that, right. you know, for that uh, the spending limit of 140 or so that you think that we've got. And we've got Adam Jones, who's, you know, in the prime, Chris Davis, who's in the prime, Manny Machado, who's entering
0: his prime, but might not be here forever. I mean, we might as well damn the torpedoes and do it, right? Well, a, a part of me understands that. I mean, let's go back to 2014 and, and and kind of look at this and say, you know, the Orioles made some big splashes with, like, Cruz mm-hmm. and Jimenez, and they basically went out and signed them, and they gave up draft picks to get them. And, you know, Jimenez didn't work out in 2014, but actually had a pretty decent two thousand and fifteen campaign and actually had some surplus value there. and then Cruz was an absolute all-time steal. You know you had a player you know who you only signed for eight million dollars, and his surplus value was extremely high, not to mention you got a qualifying draft pick back for him the following year as well and that comes back to a situation like Giovanni Garrardo or Dexter Fowler. If you could come back to those players and say, "You know what?" We're willing to give up the 14th draft pick for them in order to sign them for an extremely low price for one years or two years and then get a draft pick back. I would say that's interesting. You know, I might be willing to consider that. But this is where I have the issue, and it comes back to that draft pick. If you knew you were going to get the draft pick back from a qualifying offer, I'd probably be okay with it. But – Since at the end of next year, you have the collective bargaining agreement coming up, and there has been a lot of flack thrown at how the qualifying offer has really been detrimental to players' values. Is it going to be there for you? Is it going to be there for you? So do you want to set yourself up for a, well, let's underpay them and get the qualifying offer in the future, and then we'll get the draft pick back, and we've only lost a year, and we've got this additional surplus value? That worked out great for Cruz. The question is, is that going to still be there at the end of this year? And I don't think the Orioles know that answer. And I think that's why they've been very hesitant to go out and give up the draft pick. Does the
1: draft class pay, uh, play into the decision? Because this upcoming draft class is pretty stocked. It is a very good draft. Well, you know, from the projections. Sure. If the Orioles consider it to be surplus in talent, does that make them more willing to give up the 14th pick? Or does the fact that it's so good up top make them want to hold on to what thrown. I don't know which way they, they'll go
0: with See, that. See, it's my opinion, if you're looking at the draft, I don't think they're even looking at it from the aspect of getting players, like a, a, an amount of players. Mm-hmm. I think they're looking at it from more of the aspect of and breaking out the aspect. The draft comes with certain slot money. Mm-hmm. So they have X amount of slot money. So I think right now they're like fifth in Major League Baseball in terms of slot money going into this draft. So with that much slot money they can actually go and get players and over slot that money and say you were gonna make two point four million we're actually gonna pay you three point eight million in order to have you agree to a contract which allows you to get certain players that some people feel like like we can't sign him like he's we're gonna have to just pass him which means that you could potentially get better players um at you know lower draft positions so for example you may be able to get you know, someone really good at the 14 slot, but even at the 23 slot with where you have Chen right now, you might be able to get someone that would have a top 15 prospect that dropped that far down because... For signability purpose. For signability purpose and say, we're going to combine two of our second round picks with the 23rd draft spot in order to go out and sign a top 15 prospect, basically, that fell down. So I think the way they're thinking about it more is this is a great opportunity for us to get those superstar prospects in this draft. And the question is... Is it better for us to, you know, get those superstar prospects like we're discussing about for surplus value in years to come? Or is it best for us to make the move right now when we're all all our chips are in? I wish this were an easier discussion. I wish this was an easier discussion, too. But unfortunately, it's not. But I think the biggest question that people keep looking at is, you know, do is the starting pitching that is out there worth it to give it the the, uh, the the draft pick for? And Giovanni Gallardo is the only starting pitcher out there that you would really be giving up a draft pick for now. And the question is, uh, is Giovanni Gallardo worth that draft pick? And we could argue that, but there's plenty of other podcasts that have argued about Giovanni Gallardo. So we don't need to talk about Giovanni Gallardo. Um, I think, you know, you feel one way or the other. The question I have for Orioles fans is, with what we have in our system right now, Could the Orioles make a decent fifth starting pitcher? We'll be right back to talk about that. With spring training less than two weeks away. Oh, thank God. Yeah. The Orioles are left with a starting rotation that appears to be worse than last year, though. The loss of Chen was a huge one, but there's uncertainty with everyone else in the rotation. Even Kevin Gossman, who most folks are clamoring for a breakout season, including myself, has never pitched more than 113 innings pitched in the majors before. And even in 2014, when he was perfectly healthy and bounced between the majors and AAA, he never pitched more than 156 innings pitched combined. So to think that he's all of a sudden going to have a major breakout season and pitch for 180 innings pitched or more, it's optimistic at best, Orioles fans. Um, the Orioles have made a plethora of depth signings for starting pitching um, throughout this offseason. Really, at the very beginning of the offseason, they signed Vance Worley. And just recently, they've just signed Despanier Odrisimer. Um I think it's. Odrisimer Despagne. Despagne Odrisimer. Is that right?
1: No, no. His first name is Odrismer. His last name is Despagne.
0: Are you sure about that? I'm certain of it. All right. Okay. Well, we'll let, you know, Ryan Wagner figure that out. Okay. No,
1: you're not considering this properly. The best part of Odreesmer Despagne being yeah. a member of
0: the Orioles yeah. is the Baltimoreans' nickname audit. Ah, excellent point. So, Baltimoreans. You're on the clock. Make it happen.
1: They're furiously
0: uh, typing on away. It. One second. All right, we're good. But what's interesting about Vance Worley and Odrissimer is they both have been starting pitching and relief pitching as of last year. So they both basically bounce back between the starting pitching and the bullpen, which is interesting. Um, you also have contributions potentially from Dylan Bundy, who's got to start in, you know, on the major league roster. Mike Wright, Taylor Wilson. My question to you, Jake, is with those five pieces, could the Orioles put together some kind of hybrid mutant fifth starting pitcher, basically, that would actually be
1: decent? Okay. So your question to me, let me just try to break this down. Your question is, could they take what they've got? Yes. And – and rotate around players that you just named Yes, in a, in a spot fifth start rotation where some of them are starting at some times and other times they're relieving. Some of them are minors and right. then some of them are brought up.
0: And the reason I say this is, and let's go through these really quickly just from, a, from an aspect and an options of why I think this might be possible, you've got Dylan Bundy and Vance Worley who – Both are going to be here and they have no options remaining. So they can't just magically disappear and just vanish into the night unless one of them falls into a pothole and they have to go down to Norfolk for a little bit of time. Oops. Yeah. But out of those other three names that I mentioned, Mike Wright, Tyler Wilson, and Odrissimar, they all have options. They all can be shuttled back and forth, back and forth on the Norfolk shuttle. And again, they've got to stay down there for at least 10 days and then they can come back up, which if you've got three players that could all be shuffling they could easily make that work where you could be doing spot starts. And it's something that that Buck Showalter and Dan Ducat are great at. Absolutely. Again, that comes back to, you know, over the past few years. The 2012. Nor- best 20- example. Exactly. 2012 was a great example of the Norfolk Shuttle. Now, last year, the Norfolk Shuttle kind of got shut down for a period of time because you had Jason Garcia. And it was just like, gosh, darn it. Like, if we had one more p- player in there, we could basically do the Norfolk Shuttle. But there was no Norfolk Shuttle and people we, until we started releasing players, basically. Are you telling me that the Norfolk Shuttle hit a pothole? Listen, the oh. Norfolk Shuttle hit a pothole, okay? But it's an interesting scenario. I mean, let's go through the bullpen really quickly. Yeah, You've let's got do it. Zach Britton, O'Day, Brad Brock, Brian Mattis, and Michael Givens, who I think are locks to basically make the bullpen. That's five people. And again, Michael Givens has options remaining as well, which means that I don't think he's going to be shuttled back and forth. But if you get into a situation where, you know, he pitched like – Three games in a row, you could even just say, Here Take gonna 10 days off. Take 10 days off, or take 10 days off and know that you're going to basically put someone the DL four days down the line and be like, Oh, look, Michael Givens somehow got back up here in four days. Like, imagine how that happened. I think that Givens is one of our seven best
1: relievers, and I think that he will be on the team for a very uh, large part of the season. But I, I think you're
0: right that roster flexibility does mean that he will probably serve some time in Norfolk to. To better the team. Or it might even be like the aspect of, oh, we're going to send you down to Bowie, like we did right. with Chen, and be like, you're going to go down to Bowie. Well, why the heck am I going to Bowie? But Chen loved that. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think, to a certain regard, the Orioles, at this point, have a high degree of bullpen flexibility to play with in terms of options, which, again, they've shown in the past that they can really make use of it. And the question is, could they make use of it in such a fashion where they could basically do a multitude of pitchers in that fifth spot. Sure. So they got three spots in the bullpen and one spot in the rotation that they could swap out. I'd like, say two spots in the bullpen if you keep Givens there almost permanently. Okay. Because I'd say seven bullpen is about all you're going to want to keep. You're going to want to keep seven, five, 12 pitchers, 13 uh, uh, position players. So let's say out of this, you've got two in the bullpen and a starting pitcher. So you've got a three spot fluid rotation for a fifth starting pitcher. Let me weasel out of this question. Sure. Yes, if.
1: Yes. Yes, if the other four starters are solid enough. Yeah, okay, perfect, yes. And the, I think that this goes back to, you know, we talked about 2012 and the, Steve Johnson. Yes. You know, and, and all the other uh, participants in that uh, end of the rotation. The, the reason that worked is because they found Miguel Gonzalez, and he was really good in that season. Right. That only worked because the other guys in the rotation we solid that year. So we have four pitchers who may be good. Right. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's all about, you know, can Chris Tillman regain some of the form that made him an All-Star in 2013? Can Miguel Gonzalez be healthy enough? You know, I've, I've started to look back and wonder if it's not only ability but also health— that's been the problem with Miguel Gonzalez. You know, if we only get 145 innings from him, that means you have to get another 50 innings from somebody else, and that whole spot in the rotation is not as productive as he was alone in a year like 2012. You look at a guy like uh, Gosman, which you very rightly have said, look, yep. he may be he may be able to take that next step up. He may be able to become the pitcher that we think he can, or he might even be able to do what he does for a longer period of time, but we haven't seen it. Right. And then there's that pothole guy who, uh, you know, um, Jimenez may, um, he may be good. Right. But we've seen him at his worst. Sure. And, you know, if he goes anywhere near that again... It's going to be rough. So, you know, if Obaldo if and Gosman and Tillman and Gonzalez can be any, in the median rather than in the bad that we saw last year, sure, sure we, can, we can make do with that fifth spot. Because right. I think the other guys that you talked about have their, have their upsides. Right. But we can't be cobbling the fifth spot together if one through
0: four isn't working. Let me go even crazier on you. And it comes, comes back to the starting pitching like you just discussed. And something. What happens if they're funky? So one person that could easily be... Th- what happens if they're funky? This yeah. is the You're the analyst, thank you. No problem. Miguel Gonzalez. Uh-huh. Again, terrible season last year. We're all assuming that he's going to somewhat bounce back, but we don't think he's going to have an exceptional thing. We, we assume he's going to be the normal fourth of his starter. But again, Miguel Gonzalez also has an option remaining. Wow. So if Miguel Gonzalez has an option op- remaining, and also, and I hope this never happens, Kevin Gossman also has an option remaining as well. So if you've got... Those two players that have options is remaining too. does doesn't this kind of fuel the aspect further of saying, oh my gosh, why couldn't you do this? And you basically keep cycling in these people based off of matchups or just basically keeping innings pitched down. I'm not sure if you would really want to do that with Gossman because we, you know, that we are tired of seeing that after last year, but man, the options are kind of there to kind of create this mishmash rotation. And the reason I'm throwing it out there is I went back and looked at those 2012 numbers, and looked at the starting pitching because I was like, man, like I remember a little bit of the rotation in 2012, but it was kind of hodgepodgey is what I remember it to be. So I went back and looked at the numbers. Jake, we had eight starting pitchers that had at least ten games started in there, and then that doesn't even count Joe Saunders, who came at the end of the season and pitched like seven or eight games started on top of that. Yeah. So you had pretty much nine starting pitchers there that were making a significant contribution in terms of games pitched and. Yes, you know, you as a team, you will occasionally throw spot starters out there for a game or two, but not to that length. Like, for example, we had like Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson come in and pitch like four or five games last year, but that's a huge turnover. And again, 2012 was all about the Norfolk shuttle. What if the Orioles are creating something like that, where they're going to go through this Norfolk shuttle in 2016, and they're going to basically use their bullpen and a flux of their starting pitchers to say, go out there and throw me four or five really good uh, innings, and then we're going to basically do a shuffle job and basically get through these games.
1: You know, it, it's, it's it's crazy possible,
0: but again, it's all about the orders Where again, you're getting that surplus value because you're not getting negative value. You're getting little bits and pieces of like point two war, point three war, but since you have no negative value, you actually can stay. Pretty decent in terms of a starting rotation.
1: You're saying the, all the little bits add up to you know if you look at a, a rotation spot right. rather than a rotation person, all
0: those little bits add up. Right, exactly. So again, when I look at my paycheck and I see that every single hour that I'm in there, I'm just like, well, that's terrible. But at the end of the day, I'm like, well, it's not as terrible as I was ex- expecting it to be. Basically, you see, it's fractions of pennies with every transact. No, this is crazy. like Superman four, right? Where I take the fraction of the penny. <laughs> it's Office
1: Space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you might be onto something. I just, I really hope that. You know, we're not looking at a situation in which, you know, a guy like uh, Gonzalez is being optioned to get a start in for Despagne. Like that, that would just spell trouble for me. The other thing about this is that it only works if the Orioles have what I think they have in the fact that they have an excellent uh, bullpen, Mm -hmm. including the flexibility that you talked about. Not only are they trying to cobble together the rotation, but they can also cobble together the back end of the bullpen if necessary. And I think that the, the lineup, is going to be powerful enough to bash its way out of okay starts at the back of the, of the uh, rotation. They obviously aren't going to win games 10 to 9 regularly, but you know they can overcome a 4 to 5 to 6 run deficit. That's not out of the, the question. The thing is, is that how good does the rotation really need to be for those other strengths of the team to take, the, take over and carry them? Are we in agreement that the lineup
0: is probably good enough to bash their way out of mediocrity? I think that as long as the starting pitching is um, between 10, uh, top 10, not top 10, 10 to 20, basically. So I would say if you're in like the top 15-ish or so, you'll be in decent shape. And again, people always come back and look at the Royals and they're like, well, they were a bottom five rotation. But there was two things that the the Royals had, of course, last year was top defense, all in baseball, and an amazing bullpen. And you know, one of the things that was pointed out by some people was that the Orioles in terms of defense last year was kind of mediocre. Like Manny Machado had a great season, but you also had J.J. Hardy out for a single period of time. So you had Everett Cabrera filling in there, who was absolutely horrible in terms of defense. Um, your outfield was pretty poor, all things considering, in terms of defense. So again, the Orioles were 12th best in defense. Whereas if you go back to 2014, you look at the starting pitching between 2014, 2015, and people will be like, well, the second half was amazing. But the first half was horrible, if people remember, from 2014. So if you look at the entire season, you know, the starting pitching was, eh, you know, a a little bit worse last year. But the defense was incredibly worse. The Orioles' defense was top three in 2014. And to go to 12th, um, it was like— That's a big drop. I think it was like a 16-run difference in terms of in the entire season, which, again, is— four to five games, if you think about it. So if you have four to five games there, the orders go from an 81 team to an 86-win team. You're right there for a wild-card spot with the same team that you had last year if you can perform a defense similar to like you had in 2014, which I don't think is outlandish. It just means that you've got to get J.J. Hardy back to having similar defense, which I understand that the batting was absolutely horrible last year, but I didn't really think that his defense really fell off last year. So if you can keep Jonathan Scope and J.J. Hardy healthy... And just get their defense back and actually get a serviceable outfield, um, you may be able to get some additional ro- wins back in that process as well. And fielding and independent pitching is something you talk about a lot as a way to analyze, you know, what makes a pitcher. But they don't pitch in a vacuum. They right? don't pitch in a vacuum. Um, and again, you've got to look at it in certain aspects. And people always come back to the ERA FIP difference. but um, You know That's not the only reason the Orioles regressed last year was because of defense. There was other reasons, but I think it is important that if the Orioles do go in with the starting pitching, they're going to have to make sure that they are optimizing toward defense as well, which I think why people have been looking at Dario Alvarez, because he could be a decent right field option out there from a defensive standpoint, Um, and maybe that's all you need from a right fielder at this time. Here's hoping.
1: All right, gun to your head if you had to answer me. Who do you think the Orioles go with as their fifth starter coming out of camp? Vance Worley. I think so, too. I, I think so, too. I, I look at the the, ro- the rotation options, and I don't see that they have a better option. And that's not a compliment to Vance Worley. Mm-hmm. That's just reality. But uh, I think Despagne is, is an interesting... I like that he has three options. Yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> acquisition. He, he, he'll he be a, a very good organizational
0: asset. I see him as like a Miguel Gonzalez clone, basically, is the best way to put it.
1: Yeah, but I, I hope he's the good uh, Miguel Gonzalez. I'm, I'm halfway between hoping he... Um, meets and exceeds my expectations and also hoping that we don't need him yeah exactly <laughs> but again
0: good depth signing all right anything else that you want to bring up with uh, this hodgepodge of starting pitching that the orioles currently have this
1: may shock you but i really don't want to talk about the back end of the bullpen it gives me the willies
0: shocking absolutely shocking All right, it's that time where we end the show. We're going to blow the save, so I'm going to take it this week. Um, for those that don't know, uh, we were off last week. Uh, unfortunately, it was kind of sad news, at least on our side. Um, uh, I actually talked about this last year. Um, I actually had went to uh, a baseball game with my father. It was probably the first time I went to a baseball game with my father in 10-plus years. Unfortunately, uh, my father passed away uh, last week, um, basically, Suddenly, very surprising to the rest of our family, um, and it comes with a heavy heart. So I appreciate you know Jake basically making the exception and basically allowing me to take a week to grieve. But also I appreciate all the fans and friends of the show to basically reaching out to pay their condolences. Um, all I can say to that is you know you know make time with your kids, make times with your children, um, make times even with your father. Go out to a baseball game this year. Buy your dad a beer. And just enjoy the memories that you have with them because you never know when it's going to be up. Um, You know, baseball is a special time. And, uh, you know, as much as people like to give Field of Dreams a uh, cliché and corny ending where it says, Dad, you want to play catch? And some people think it's the most horrible movie of all time. Yes, Craig Calcaterra, I'm looking at you. Uh, It really is kind of a special thing for a father and a son to bond over a baseball game. So, Dad, this one's for you. Uh, With that... That's all I have to say. So, Jake, I know you're eager for uh, for the uh, spring training to start up. Um, anything you are looking forward to specifically? or
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure I can follow that up with anything that's oh, going come to, uh, to, to make sense. No, I just I'm desperately hoping uh, for baseball season, uh, although I hope once spring training starts and I'm complaining about how horrible it yep. is that I remember how I feel right now in the fact that. Just
0: having some baseball is better than not. I can't wait for the over-eagerness, everyone, to look at someone pitching off a flat mound and over-analyzing it for minutes and hours on a time. So with that, Baltimore Beyond. Baseball players in running shorts. Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. And let's go O's. The Vanimal. Really? Despagne.